My co-host Preston Johnson at Sports Cheetah on Twitter. Myself, Joe Ostrowski. I'm at Joe0670. Eli producer, Eli Hershkovich, the executive producer. Jake Hassan, the board op, Dylan Burns is directing. So uh, we have to start off, Preston, with uh, what we saw last night. And uh, I, I know you're probably, I don't know that you're nervous, but uh, your mind is all about that first game tonight with mm-hmm. Gonzaga. I'm not, I'm not that nervous about that game, to be honest. I'll, I'll say this, okay. though. The um, Since I'm a UCLA fan, I've actually been more nervous about the Michigan-UCLA game, just from a fan perspective. The Gonzaga future, though, I mean, it's still in you know great shape to have, you know, the, that price on a minus four hundreds favorite. So I will admit, I think outside of Baylor, you know, USC probably poses one of the toughest matchups for Gonzaga, but just because defensively inside with Mobley and company, I think actually I saw the Ken Palm tweet after USC beat Oregon. He yeah. said it's the greatest two-point shooting team versus, you know, the greatest two-point defense of all time, meaning Gonzaga from two offensively versus USC's defense. And that's kind of a cool matchup in general. So maybe USC can keep it closer. I'll I'll say this. I was surprised to see the nine and a half open, uh, especially the way USC has been playing, but uh, also just because uh, my number was closer to eight. It's come down now to eight and a half most spots. Mm -hmm. And I think it'll probably sit around here now and, and it's a lot closer to fair. So, um, Hopefully, hopefully not. You know, disregard USC. Like you said, I'm I'm not that nervous, so uh, maybe I should be. But I I think the line's pretty close, and it should be a pretty good game. But I think ultimately Gonzaga is just you know a different level of offense than than what USC's seen these last few games. I I wouldn't be all that nervous if I were you, and I'm a little surprised as we sit here in the Elite Eight. And of course, like most tournaments, we talk about the upsets, and that's what sells over the first four days of the tournament. But uh, we might be having a one, a one, a one, and a two in the end. And it feels like you're still – you can tell me if this is accurate, but I, yesterday I was staring for a long time at Gonzaga plus 125 and thinking, man, there's still plus money at this juncture? Oh, interesting. I hadn't even looked at updated actual yeah. futures odds. Uh, no, that's probably not like the, – the, the thing was interesting when they were still plus 200s before the tournament even started is just that they were going to be such big favorites a couple of times. Like really this is the first time they're not a double-digit favorite, and it's pretty close. So um, now that their next two games will be you know even smaller spreads most likely, it's probably mm-hmm. not like super value at plus 125. I, I just thought – it, it, you're almost getting the same exact bet in you know plus two twenty five before the tournament started, unless you really thought they were going to lose, you know, as a fifteen point dog, which it's possible. But you know, Oklahoma, Creighton, like those teams weren't really going to beat Gonzaga very frequently. So I think betting it now is probably the time um, not to, I should say, <laughs> and, and staying away because yes. you know you missed out on seventy five cents to a dollar depending on the book before the tournament even started. Yeah, what what has really changed? Um, Gonzaga did exactly what we were all expecting them to do. Joe Ostrowski, Preston Johnson, this is BetQL Daily. We're here weekdays on the BetQL Audio Network, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can follow us on Twitter at BetQL Daily. Make sure you're subscribed to the BetQL Daily podcast so you never miss an episode. You never miss an interview. Uh, Before we preview the games going on this evening, let's take a look at uh, what happened on Monday night, and things started in the Midwest. Houston or over Oregon State, 67-61. to 61. The Beavers cover the spread of eight. It just barely goes under. I guess it seemed a lot closer with that three at the end. Just goes under uh, the closing number of 130. 
Cougars led by 17 points at one early on, and then they gave up the lead entirely. Uh, Oregon State shot 56% in the second half, but uh, when you look at the box score, it was domination by Houston. Uh, they took 15 more shots, 16 more threes. They out-rebounded Oregon State, which many expected them to dominate the boards. They did just that, out-rebounding Oregon State uh, by 12. And Anything to take away as uh, we look ahead to Houston-Baylor? I mean, I think the thing to take away is that as badly as Oregon State played in the first half, I think you said they were down 17. Um, I think that was a halftime and probably one to two minutes into the first half. I think they traded threes. And so 18 minutes left, you're down 17 points. And then it was tied with like three minutes left, I think, right? Like the Beavers come all the way back. Houston hits a huge three to push it right back to a three-point game as soon as it got tied. Like if they miss that shot and Oregon State goes down and ties it, I mean, Houston might not even be here. I think people remember and will remember that. They'll remember the Rutgers game, Houston. I, th- I think people still people think, well, you know, Houston should have lost to Rutgers. And uh, sure enough, they almost did down nine or ten late and then going on that that huge run to end it. Baylor's basically exceeded expectations to this point. So my, my guess is that I think I saw it open four and a half, and I'm not sure if it's five everywhere yet, but uh, – Places that are at least offering it, I believe, went to five almost immediately. Yeah. And I, I guess that doesn't surprise me. At the same time, my number is closer to four. So um, at some point, meaning five and a half, I think Houston would be a buy point. I don't know if we'll get it to that point. But uh, it's it's hard for, I think, people to, one, trust in Houston as a whole because they probably didn't play as good of a schedule as most teams. And so they were kind of – there were question marks with Houston going in. Their path ended up being really you know, cupcake for lack of yes. better terms, they didn't really look great in two of those games anyway. And now Baylor's kind of looking like the Baylor we saw from, you know, the first 75% of the season or so. And I think Baylor will be a popular side. I'm hoping five and a half is probably a good buy though in the Houston. When it's all said and done, I think this should be closer to four. Arkansas, again, they were down 20 in the first half, came all the way back and cut it to four and then missed their next 10 shots. And like, I mean, Arkansas easily could have, you know, beaten Baylor in a you know, different night different path different avenue it's all part of the randomness but um i wasn't necessarily super impressed with baylor's performance uh in the end considering arkansas really didn't get going until that second half either i know it's um it's what arkansas has done a lot this season gone down and then they have their comeback late but this time it's uh much tougher to do that uh, when you're facing the baylor bears here but it's it's uh it's kind of striking how both both games and i know this is college basketball with the run game of runs and all that but both games you had houston they led by 17 they blew it and you had baylor they led by 18 and then all of a sudden with with a matter of a few minutes left it's a four-point ball game here yeah i mean i I feel like hmm, even like okay usc oregon game right usc jumps out to the big lead early oregon got that down to Six single digits seven, maybe it was single digits Plus after they yeah. were down 20 something in the second half there has been it seems like an extraordinary amount of runs that just aren't quite enough for the crazy comeback upset but they're they're getting there. i'm sure people that are betting in game like oh oregon's plus 20 and a half now live and 18 and a half like they were just firing away or if you're an arkansas fan and you're like oh well we always start slow and you're hitting arkansas plus 15 and a half 14 and a half in game yesterday um, that's been paying off for people for sure. Uh, it's not yep. something you should generally do because we've seen teams just keep blowing out the other team. But another example is even Gonzaga starting slow and 
their games against Creighton, especially the Oklahoma game. They went down eight or nine points right away and then obviously came back and they're covering those games anyway, despite starting slow. And I actually, I, I, I watched a game with a friend last night. That was the Baylor Arkansas game. And I got in my car after the game and I was actually, I was driving home and I, and I had the thought, and, and I don't know if you have an answer to this. This isn't even really a sports betting related question, but sure. Do you think like, so like Musselman's in there getting ready for the elite eight, like, We've started slow every game. How do you talk to a team or how do you figure out, like you, you approach the coaches, like why is it that we start slow every game? Do you think maybe we could try to like, get to 10 points first this time? Like maybe that would help us, you know, st- especially now we're playing bad. I, I don't understand how it is that every single game seemingly Arkansas needs five to 10 minutes to get into a flow. And then they look like a legitimate top 10 team if they had just figured it out for 40 minutes, like one time or in that Baylor game, you know, I think they probably are in that, if not win it again, they basically punted the first 10 minutes away, went down 18 points and it was a four point game late with a few minutes left. So um, I just, I just, I just don't get it. How some of these teams is no matter what they probably are trying to do or say, they they can't get anything going for the first five to 10 minutes. I guess um, I know you're not supposed to say this in the sports betting world, but I guess that's why some people end up following trends <laughs> and they think it works all the time yeah, because with fair. specific teams, um, you, you can fade Just Arkansas in the first half and you can, you can roll with Arkansas in the second half. Yeah. That worked for me in the, over the weekend uh, when I was jumping on Baylor, when they were an underdog in the game against Villanova oh, yeah. and Arkansas was a straight up underdog against Oral Roberts. Uh, and I know plenty of people have done very well with the uh, live betting going on in uh, recent rounds in this tournament. So we've got Houston in the final four for the first time since Pi slam a jamma. Uh, that was so long ago. I, I barely, I don't even really remember it. And uh, now we've got Baylor in the final four for the first time in 71 years. And as you mentioned, the market is at five now, a total of 135 and a half uh, between Houston and Baylor. That uh, game coming up on on Saturday Um, as a Pac-12 fan and observer. Where are you on Oregon State? And I know we're always looking ahead and we're obviously going to focus on what we saw last night, what we're going to see tonight and in the final four and all that. but what we saw here at the end, does that mean Oregon State is going to be in the mix going into next season? That's a fair question. Um, so a lot of the times how good or how far, how far a team goes is, is, is obvious thing. Most obviously you can say it's correlated to how talented your team is, right? But it's also a mix of maybe your coach and schematically what you're doing. Bad to Good teams can go on runs. Good to above average teams can go on runs. I think that's where Oregon State probably lies now is that they are better than obviously everyone anticipated. I believe everyone was saying they were picked 12th out of 12 to finish in the Pac-12, right? Like, And now they're an Elite Eight team. They were tied with three minutes left, almost a Final Four team. That's probably an extreme. They're probably not that good. They're not going to make a run like that again. But they're better, obviously, than the bottom half of the Pac-12. I think at this point they've they've earned that. And so you never want to overreact even to one entire season. I know that sounds crazy. It's like, well, yeah, they played the whole season. Well, this season they actually probably didn't play as many games as a typical full season. But you never just want to react to even 20 games of data, right, where they finished 18-4 and four against the spread. I think it's the number people are throwing around yes. um, with that cover yesterday late. Uh, I, I wish I could tell you an answer. I'll say my my numbers probably hmm. – I'll, I'll look at that in the meantime. Maybe at some point in the other show I can look and see – 
because I've been adjusting them up now for the last seven to eight games quite heavily. And, you know, I still I don't think I have them in my top 25. Uh, they definitely aren't. I know Ken Palm, they've moved up in Ken Palm into like the 40s. Before that, they weren't even in the top 50. Um, they, my guess before is the, the Pac-12 before the Pac-12 tournament, they were outside the top 100. Oh, geez. Even before the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah. 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 Okay. So there you go. I mean, my, my guess is they're in the thirties for me now, which it's good. Again, it's good. It's above average, but it's not a team I'm thinking is going to contend next year. Okay. And uh, with Arkansas, the fan base, even though a little frustrated by the slow starts, uh, you have to be pleased that it looks like uh, this round of coaches, Musselman's not going to be leaving. This is a guy that has bounced around a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- whether you talk about in the NBA, back in the CBA days, he was in the D League before going back, going uh, to college basketball. So uh, you, you've got to be happy about about what he's built there in year number two. And a lot of times you think it's going to grow. It doesn't always work. Uh, it doesn't always work that way. I, I saw that many years ago after Illinois made it all the way to the title game with Bruce Weber. And then it was all downhill after mm-hmm. that. But uh, I, their mentality has to be, okay, we're here to stay. That speaks to, I guess, part of the, the randomness, right? You can even have a team that that makes a, the final, and they're not that great the following year, even if it's with similar personnel, right, similar players. So, yeah, I mean, you it's positive. It's confidence you're bringing to the program. And the thing is with Musselman, it's, I think – I don't have coaching rankings in front of me, but even at Nevada, he always did a really good job and was respected. And And so when someone like that does it and then they do it again on a different team with a different program and this quickly, it's mm-hmm. probably less random than if, you know, it was done um, from a coach that came out of nowhere or if they did it at a really small school in a smaller conference, which is, you know, we see that happen all the time. Um, but to do it in the SEC this year and everything, I, I think uh, it's at least confidence boosting. And will they have NBA talent every year going forward? We'll see. I and mean, that's obviously helpful, too. And uh, if they can keep recruiting at that level, then I think they'll be in the mix. That's Preston Johnson. I'm Joe Ostrowski. This is BetQL Daily. Uh, coming up next, we're going to break down both Elite Eight matchups tonight. We've got Gonzaga as eight-and-a-half-point favorites against USC and Michigan minus six-and-a-half against Preston's UCLA Bruins. See if uh, there's an upset Bruin tonight uh, with one of these two matchups since uh, as far as straight up, it went chalk-chalk on Monday evening. You're locked into the BetQL Audio Network. It's BetQL Daily on the BetQL Audio Network. Download the BetQL app today to get the latest analytics to help you beat the sportsbooks. And that's it. This unlikely run continues for UCLA. The Bruins dance into the Elite Eight. An overtime victory against the number two seed in the East, Alabama, 88-78. to It's BetQL Daily with Joe Ostrowski on the BetQL Audio Network. BetQL helps sports bettors of all types from the first time bettors to hardcore make more informed betting decisions using data and analytics. Use our promo code daily for 20% off any subscription. Joe Ostrowski, Preston Johnson, Preston at Sports Cheetah on Twitter. I'm at Joe0670. This is BetQL Daily, our weekdays 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern time on the radio.com app. Preston, are you still uh, starting to look like your crypto punk? <laughs> That's why I'm wearing a beanie today. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I did. I did actually shave the sides of my my hair. So once <laughs> it grows in a little bit more, I'll be able to kind of get a, a a barber or a hairstylist to actually get the hair looking back to normal. But uh, 
yeah, it was um, that was fun, but it it definitely doesn't doesn't look right if I'm not wearing a hat. Or a <laughs> uh, people don't know what I'm referencing. Uh, check out uh, Pete Overzet's Twitter account, and you can see a funny video uh, with Preston Johnson and Pete Overzet uh, having a laugh over uh, the crypto punk craze that is going on right now. So let's uh, break down these two matchups tonight. First, it's Gonzaga and USC. They decided to make this one the early game, so uh, the West Coasters. I have to watch this one late in the afternoon. And at the time of this recording, Tuesday morning, uh, it is eight and a half, a total of 153. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Ken Palm was very excited once this matchup was set to see <laughs> that it's going to be the number one two-point offense of all time in Gonzaga against this year's number one two-point defense, in the USC Trojans and uh, both teams just breezing right to the Elite Eight, and uh, USC part of that as well. They crushed Drake, uh, Kansas by 34. Oregon, the final score said 14, but that was a non-competitive contest. No, it's true. It was, I mean, it felt like for the majority, I would say, you know, minute, eight minutes left in the first half to about eight minutes left in the second half, it was 15 to 24 range. So, I mean, I don't know what to... I don't know what to ultimately make of what's going on with USC because it's, we've talked about it a little bit with, I don't know. I think we did on, on this show with Oklahoma state and having someone like Kate Cunningham or, or USC and Mobley and having those types of NBA level guys and just the progress you make over the course of a season, similar comparisons, like as past Kentucky teams. Now maybe past Kentucky teams had two or three NBA guys, regardless, I feel like these teams that have these top picks, are getting to a stage or playing at a level that was obtainable before the season started, but they're just playing at it, you know, more frequently now because they have 20 to 30 games under their belts and USC, I think uh, 26 and seven or something like that's their record. I mean, they've played quite a few games. Uh, didn't have a huge halt from anything COVID, re COVID related during the season. So uh, they're just this team that now, I mean, that Kansas game was, I, I know Kansas wasn't great, and it's not like outside of Baylor, the Big 12 was fantastic. But the way in which – and it's like that when you're watching college football for people like, like Alabama beats everybody by 40 or Clemson's always beating everyone by 40. It's, it's not – like at some point, you have to take into account the level of, you know, beatdown, I guess, as opposed to just a win and a loss because – you know, you're doing capping. A win and a loss is like the most basic way of of projecting a team going forward. Okay, well they're ten and zero. Well, one team could be ten and zero and won every game by you know one, two, or three points. Another team could be ten and zero against the same schedule, but they're winning by an average of twenty two points. The way like, USC's like, like the. Like, if you look at the NFL, everybody knew that the Steelers were a fraud. Like Steelers fans would tell you that okay, sure. they're not. They're not whatever they were. Ten. Well, the Dolphins won a bunch of close games too. Yeah. I think. yeah, yeah, and they rely on a ton of turnover stuff. Takeaways. Yeah. U USC's like their numbers now are just at a level, and maybe they're shooting the three ball a little better than norm, but their defense is just ridiculously elite, holding Kansas to fifty-one, and then that Oregon offense, which, by the way, since Will Richardson went in the lineup, I think the stat I saw in February, uh, they're one point two nine points per possession, which. 1.3 points per possession in any league is is like record breaking. Gonzaga this year, who was like above everyone else by far, was only 1.2, and Oregon was 1.3 basically since February, and they couldn't that that USC zone. Look, Oregon eventually figured some stuff out in the second half, some, but 
they only scored 68 points. So uh, there's a chance here that USC is just better than even we're catching up to and getting to. And again, I think this should be a spread of eight. So at eight and a half now, I think most places it, it's pretty close to fair. There's always going to be a slight Gonzaga tax, I feel like, especially after they covered all three games as a huge favorite. But I, I feel like maybe we didn't credit USC enough just for the talent they have on the floor. And it's that type of NBA level talent. If they're hitting some threes too, that can beat anybody. And by anybody, we mean the best team in the country. And that's Gonzaga. So the only close game this year was the third game of the year against West Virginia. The only time Gonzaga didn't win by, by double digits. That was a 87 to 82. And and you look at the way USC is with the ratings and just the way they're playing right now, there was Iowa in that like that was right after that West Virginia game, but uh, this is by far their toughest opponent of the season. Correct? I would say the Harry, comeback. you're back. <laughs> we, we, it was due. It's been 30 minutes or so. Yes. I was just going to say I think the toughest competition for Gonzaga was that BYU game at the end of the West Coast Conference. Sure. Because they now they ended up winning by like 10, I think, after some fouls late, but that was tied under two minutes, and BYU was up. 12 or 14, I believe, at halftime. I think that was the biggest scare Gonzaga actually felt. The West Virginia game, I don't recall ever thinking, oh, no, Gonzaga might lose this. I just never got that sense. Gonzaga was a dog to win that BYU game at halftime based on the betting markets. I remember they were minus 11 second half, and they were down by either 12 or 14 That's points. Right. So, and, and, it's, and at one point, I think it was still double-digit game, you know, mid-second half. So they were more like plus 175s on the money line in game. That was, I think, the biggest scare. And it was almost a good time to have it because now they're in this tournament and they're just crushing teams. But I will say this, I think as far as how would USC do in the West Coast Conference, I mean, they'd be far and away, I think, the second best team. I thought BYU, even though they had the same, I think they were the same seed, uh, I thought BYU was pretty overrated. That was one of the reasons I like UCLA and, and stuff in that first matchup if they got by Sparty. Uh, so, yeah, USC by far outside of maybe West Virginia and Iowa early, early on in non-conference. Uh, best team they've played in a long time. And a team like BYU even scared them when BYU just didn't miss that first half. And if USC is shooting like they have been, and their defense is going to be the best, I think, Gonzaga's faced, period. Uh, good luck. We might be in We might be in for an actual close game and a Gonzaga scare tonight, too. Uh, just a uh, betting strategy. So you've established that you have Gonzaga futures. You got them at a nice number before the season started, 10 to 1. Only futures you have in college hoops. When you have a future in play and you're not the elite eight, even if your numbers are telling you there's a, there's an edge or a bettable edge, let's say, I know it's not the case, but let's say you had one in this game on the Gonzaga side, would you still bet Gonzaga or would you just back off and, and roll with your futures? So something I've always done, which is maybe I, I've, I've hindered my, my bankroll growth doing this, but I've always separated my overall bankroll by league. And then not only that by sport and league, but by preseason futures that I am going to be like locked up and they're just sitting there, especially when I was living in Las Vegas. Um, you know, you're not betting on credit or anything. You have to have to front the money and then you have to wait for, you know, say it's college football, which is the majority of my preseason futures where I, I would bet all the win totals, all the games of the year and your money's just sitting there tied up in tickets for five or six months. And so I would have a separate allotted amount for that. And so I would not treat a future on Gonzaga, for example, as influencing my decision-making in this one game, because I kind of already made 
the decision that, you know, oh, my preseason futures allotment is for that. And I'm not going to let that um, dictate anything. So if I liked Gonzaga tonight against USC, again, I think the spread should be eight. In fact, I liked USC a little bit early on at nine and a half, nine. Uh, I would be betting Gonzaga, though. I, I wouldn't. And a lot of people will double down, triple down. They have a future. And then you see them always just betting the same team anyway, again, in, in tournaments or playoff series or whatever it might be. So, uh, yeah, I, that's the way I've done it. I think doing it that way, I was not probably betting enough because I was, if you're having, okay, a futures portfolio bankroll, regular season bankroll for every league and every sport, I was probably splitting it up too heavily. Um, but it, it did give me the opportunity to kind of just ignore what I had from beforehand. This is my bankroll for the regular season and just trust my numbers game to game. Uh, I did end up betting the Alabama game, even though I had a, a ticket on it, but not pregame. I did it during the game, second half, which looked good until mm. the Bruins scored 23 in overtime. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> I can't believe Alabama missed so many free throws. Man. Oh, my I, You know, God. I'm a Bruins fan. You know, I'm a Bruins fan, but I'll be the first to admit like, Alabama's not going seven, or I should say Michigan's not going seven to 28 from three. They're not going to miss 12 or 13 free throws in regulation. I believe Alabama missed the last five. It was four or five straight in like the final two minutes from the free throw line. I think it was a one and one, and then they missed four more. I think it was their last five free throws. They just couldn't make anything. And it ends up being a you know an overtime game anyway. So, And Juzang goes out. I'm shocked UCLA pulled it off in overtime. They get credit for that overtime crush because Alabama, they were just locking them up on defense. But that end of regulation and then just throughout the game, missing all those free throws – I don't know how that happened. I'm I'm worried that Michigan might just end up putting a beat down down on on the Bruins tonight, but uh, maybe they continue with the good. It was similar to Oregon State. Remember, like their three point shooting, I believe your opponents through the tournaments were twenty something percent from three, and um, that didn't even really correct. And they were down double digits at you know, seventeen points at halftime. So uh, variance is weird. And uh, my impression is that Michigan will. Uh, shoot a lot better from the free throw line and definitely from three as well. They're, they're a great shooting team. Yeah. It, it just got to a point where I'm like, okay, UCLA, you're up. Just keep following. Just keep following. And then yeah. they chose, they chose not to fall at the very end because they were worried about them throwing up a three in regulation, but uh, it all worked out for the UCLA, UCLA Bruins. Um, and let's move, move to that second game of the night. Uh, the Wolverines are favored by six and a half, a total of one thirty five and a half. Uh, Michigan, yeah, they just talk about a beatdown. Uh, that's what they did to the Knowles over the weekend. And uh, here's uh, UCLA uh, with their four-game run in the NCAA tournament. They had to deal with overtime twice, but they survived both of them. Uh, so you're worried that uh, it's as a fan that the favorite is going to roll in the nightcap? I just, yeah, I, I think UCLA was pretty lucky. Um, again, I loved them against BYU, but. To get Abilene Christian in the second round was a blessing. I guess it's just not going to happen very frequently. And them beating a team that, again, remember against Texas, how Abilene Christian couldn't even shoot 30% from the field. And yes. somehow they were able to win because Texas kept turning the ball over. I mean, it was just mm -hmm. a fluky game. So UCLA basically gets the pass into the next round. And uh, then they you know, get a really bad shooting game from Alabama, which is just not their MO, and, and it's not Michigan's either. Well, one thing I think that's interesting in how UCLA I, – I will say this, to make some sort of case for the UCLA side, Michigan, I think, looked a lot better against Florida. Florida State defended them in such a weird way and never changed it up and just was like, well, hopefully this works. And what I mean by that is they fronted Dickinson inside. Every time Michigan tried to post Dickinson, which was a lot of the game, 
Florida State would front him because they felt like they were smaller. And when they did that, Michigan was running this high-low where they would bring another guy to the free-throw line who would catch it, and as soon as he did that, he would be able to lob it over the to the to Dickinson for a layup because the Florida State guy was on the other side fronting him from uh, a post-up pass. And so this high-low action just worked all the time. I saw someone post a video about it, and I tweeted it because it looks like beautiful basketball. But it was literally the same thing all game, over and over. And the times they didn't front, they would come send help for double, and Michigan would get an open three. So if you can just have single coverage and have guys that can at least compete with Dickinson in the post one-on-one, then you're not going to get open threes if you're Michigan. You're not going to get the high-low action setups by getting fronts defensively that just give you layups and dunks or free throws off of fouls. Uh, I think UCLA, will, they're much smarter defensively, and I think Cronin will scheme something that's – uh, not what Florida State did, and Florida State just wouldn't run away with it. So, or go away from it, I should say. So, I think UCLA defensively will be better, uh, but Michigan's going to be a better shooting team than Alabama was for sure. So, we we could have a repeat of what we saw last night. Both favorites win straight up. The first game could be the dog covering, and uh, the second game the favorite covering. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, that would that would, yeah. that would be all right with me too. And we maybe not uh, great games for the Elite Eight, but it would set up for a really nice Final Four coming up on Saturday and championship game on Monday. Joe Ostrowski, Preston Johnson. We'll talk with John Heyman next on the BetQL Audio Network. It's BetQL Daily on the BetQL Audio Network. For the latest line movement and edges to beat the spread, download the BetQL app today. It's time to start placing smarter bets, more profitable bets. If you're an experienced sports better or someone who's just starting out, BetQL is here to help us all become better bettors. BetQL runs hundreds of thousands of simulations and rates each potential bet on a scale of one to five stars. One star? Maybe skip that game. Five stars? That's like a big green light telling you to go. Look, you wouldn't torture your stomach with a one-star restaurant. Don't do it to your wallet. Get access to data and insights the sports books don't want you to see. We're talking about real proven analytics here not some hot takes from a random guy online betql's computer model analyzes every bet every day to find you the best opportunities pro and college games football basketball and more you can sort by sport or choose from a list of the best bets available right now in real time so before sitting down to watch your favorite sports see if the data backs up your betting instincts bet smarter and beat the books with betql download the betql app or visit betql.com today Hey, it's Joe Ostrowski from BetQL Daily on the BetQL Audio Network. We take you back through the biggest betting moments from the day before while breaking down our bets for that night. With the best voices in the industry and the game breakdowns along the way, we're here to put money in your wallet. We go inside the point spread and totals to figure out how the market will adjust so you can get the best number. We have fun segments like nickel or dime and proper flop to give you a betting twist with some laughs in the process. You won't want to miss BetQL Daily Monday through Friday on the BetQL audio network.